The 2024 political season is underway with a likely Trump-Biden rematch in November, and Texas Republican governor is looking for scalps in his own party after the failure of four school voucher bills. I'm UT Tyler Radio News Director Mike Landis. Today, UT Tyler connects with our go-to guy on all things political, Dr. Ken Wink. You follow national and Texas politics. Any real surprises so far? I don't guess so, Mike. Um... You know, the I, I guess the we've seen the New Hampshire primary now. We've seen the Iowa caucuses. You know, one of the funny things about it is if you look at polling like I do, uh, DeSantis actually exceeded expectations in Iowa, and Nikki Haley actually uh, exceeded expectations in New Hampshire, but they both lost by double digits. And so that sort of tells you where we are. It's Trump's nomination to lose— uh, normally, when you have multiple candidates and someone exceeds expectations, that candidate that exceeds expectations gains momentum and money. But um, coming a distant second to Trump is not going to get you that this year. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, no one can predict for sure, but surely it looks at this point like it's it's a Trump-Biden rematch. I think that's right. Uh, I would put my money on that if I were a gambler. Uh, anything can happen. We know that. Um, politicians are not, you know, we used to have politicians more or less figured out, uh, their proclivities, what we expect of them, and then came Trump. And so it's a different, totally different era. You can never tell from one day to the other what's likely to happen. Now, on the national scene, Trump continues to steamroll his competition, as you've just said, and Democrats seem to be standing by Joe Biden. What might be different this time around if it does turn out to be a Trump versus Biden presidential election? I don't know that it will be that different, Mike. Um, um, it, it's hard to predict at this point what is likely to happen. You know, I think if if the um, election were next week, I probably would pick Trump uh, to win. Uh, Biden is not doing very well in polling. He's he's not doing very well in his likability and uh, performance as president. But as you know, uh, six or seven months is a lifetime in politics, and so circumstances certainly could change. I always point, go back to George Bush Sr., who was, uh, had an 85% approval rating in the December before the election year and then lost to Bill Clinton. So you never know what's going to happen. Now, I saw a very interesting roundtable on the Sunday morning political talk shows recently in which a White House correspondent pointed out that Democrats are touting numbers indicating a strong economy, strong job growth, solid stock market, but that the average person still isn't feeling those benefits. Their housing, their food costs, their utility costs are still high, and it's hurting them. What's it going to take for Democrats to, to make that message come home to the people who are, are feeling those kinds of things? That's an interesting point. You know, I think for, for one thing, I think we're always going to have presidential elections that are pretty close these days because of the split in partisanship. We're almost a 50-50 country, and we're much more tribal now than we were 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, we back our candidates no matter what. I do think the economy is getting better. I think, um, assume it, if the assumption is that the economy gets even better in summer, the summer of this year, I think that will help Biden. Um, inflation is a tough one, though. Uh, even, even though inflation is getting better, it simply means that the cost of things are, are, is going up slower than last year. People don't want them to go up at all right now. 
So I, I do think the economy is going to be a big issue. I think it could work to Biden's advantage, but it's not. It has that has not sunk in now, and I think people are waiting to see uh, it, it, are things going to continue to improve. Now, with all the uproar in the U.S. House of Representatives over the last year, what are the political prognosticators saying about the possible balance of power after the November elections? Yeah, you mean in the U.S. House? Yes, the U.S. House. Yeah, no, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of turnover. That's right. We had a little yeah. bit in Texas as well, right? right ab- absolutely. Just a little bit. Absolutely. Um, I don't think there's going to – you know, incumbents pretty much are, are safe almost everywhere. And as I said, we are very, very – tribal these days. And so one of the phenomena that we have seen uh, over the last 20 or 30 years is that House members uh, almost always win, but it's not even close anymore. There were times when, you know, if you won last year, you could expect to win next year, but it still might be close. But uh, our elections aren't even close. I don't I don't think there's going to be a big blue wave or a big red wave. I think it will depend on, on each uh, separate uh, contest. Texas primary elections are March 5th. Most of them are GOP contests. Which races should we be paying particular attention to? Well, I think there are uh, – well, for one thing, um, it's one of the interesting things that's happening is that um, the, the 21 Republicans that sort of scuttled the school voucher plan uh, have been – I'm not saying every one of them has been targeted, but several of them have been targeted by Governor Abbott. In other words, Governor Abbott is um, endorsing the challenger to the incumbent who voted against his school voucher plans. Those are the scalps I referred to at the top of this program. The, the scalps. One of the notable ones uh, of of those that I'm describing is in the Belton Temple area just south of uh, of Waco, I believe the representative is is Hugh Shine, and he is being challenged by a uh, a mother bear who has pulled her children out of the public schools and is an activist for school vouchers. So this is the poster child uh, of the challenger that uh, Abbott wants to see against the twenty one, uh, and he may actually fund, believe it or not, some of those challenge help fund some of those challenges as well. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of those scalps that we've talked about belong to rural Republicans right. who said that they voted against vouchers because they believed it would hurt rural education. Are you surprised that the governor's chosen school vouchers to be such a front and center priority? Well, I I guess not. He's been very vocal about it. You know, he had four or five things um, after after the last election and has, has actually delivered on most of those. This is the one he has not delivered on. And I think philosophically, he uh, is in favor of a voucher plan, but he seems to now be in the position of taking it personally. And because um, you rarely see that level of infighting uh, from from the same party. And typically what 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 the, the stellars of the party do is simply support the incumbents that have sort of helped them on most votes. But uh, as you as we've discussed, uh, Governor Abbott seems to be taking this one personally. Well, it, it is interesting that even though he's not on the ballot this November, GOP mega donor Jeff Yasso is a school voucher supporter, has just donated $6 million to Abbott. That is a very tidy sum for his war chest and certainly uh, for his loyalty to the voucher issue. Well, and I think that's exactly right. And that is that is perhaps fueling some of this. Uh, now, uh, the, 
Uh, the governor is in strong position. If he decides to run for re-election in two years, he has money now to give to other candidates if he wants to do that. And people say, gosh, well, yeah, if somebody gives you money, you're going to do something. But I think you hit it right that the governor's commitment um, to this particular issue is probably what got him that level of funding in the first place. And one of the issues that took place in the House was that the House was totally opposed to the idea that we would do school vouchers and then, oh, by the way, we'll give the school some extra money or raise teacher salaries or, or whatever. And the House said, no, 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 we need to do that the other way around. And yeah. it just wouldn't go through. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so what's going to happen with that? Is the governor going to be held accountable for not helping out schools when they need help? Well, we'll see. Uh, of course, he's not on the ballot in 2024. Right. So I, I, I'm this, just thinking politically. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, well, again, that remains to be seen. Um, I I don't know what's going to happen with a fifth special session. There has been some discussion of it. I think if it happens, it would be in May. Um, after the uh, primaries and things are kind of set. After the primaries and things are sort of set and you can, you know, spill it over into the summer. But... Um, you know, the lieutenant governor at one point really wanted um, a special session in in January or February, but I think the governor is content to stay out of, of that and let the primaries play out, albeit perhaps trying to wait some uh, contests so that he'll have a more supportive legislature later. When the governor gets into a standoff with the federal government over efforts to control the border, it certainly gets a lot of news coverage uh, statewide, nationally, internationally. But is it really effective in dealing with the problem? Does that help or hurt him politically? Well, we'll see. I think it probably helps him with Texas voters. Um, I I think it probably hurts the state's efforts um, in the long run. Um it's one of those issues that I, I can certainly, and I think most people can understand the governor's frustrations. Uh, part of the special session back in late uh, 2023 was funding for exactly these sorts of things, um, uh, state money to not just build a border wall, but to find ways of um, uh, buttressing the ability to keep people from just walking into the country. And now to have the federal government say you can't do that is a real uh, a blow, I think, to, to the governor's efforts to make the border safer. Um, ultimately, we know from past history that through the Supremacy Clause, uh, what the federal government wants to do on these issues um, is, is the final say. But what will be, it will be interesting to see uh, if Biden wants to push the issue further I noticed that even though the Supreme Court has said that Texas has no right to do this, um, they're laying new razor wire today. And so the governor clearly is um, standing firm in his position, and it will be interesting to see if Biden um, you know, ups the ante by, by being more aggressive. Uh, you know, actually, the president has the ability to nationalize the, the National Guard in a state, so he could literally get uh, nationalized the Texas National Guard and have the Texas National Guard re- re- remove the razor wire. But it certainly sends a bad signal. Um, I think it would help Trump in the election in Texas mm-hmm. uh, if he did that. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. We're certainly going to be touching base with you again over these coming months in this election year. 
Any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? Any races, any issues that we might have passed by? Well, I think the, I, I don't expect a lot of close races this year. There may be a couple of congressional districts on the border that will be close. I really expect all incumbents to win. I think there are some competitive races in the Texas State House, uh, four or five, and maybe one uh, state Senate district that will be very, very close. But again, I don't think you're going to see much upset that the Republicans have an 85 to 64 seat majority in the House and a 19 to 11 majority in the Senate. And I don't expect that to change more than maybe one seat at most in the Senate and two or three at most in the House. I think it's going to be status quo, uh, really a status quo election. Thanks for listening to UT Tyler Radio Connects with political science professor Dr. Ken Wink. To share, listen again, or for a transcript of this interview, visit our website, uttyleradio.org. To be notified of future episodes, subscribe to UT Tyler Radio Connects on your favorite podcast platform. For UT Tyler Radio News, I'm Mike Landis.